This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Sunday Morning's podcast, sponsored by QuickBooks, backing you. If you work for yourself, don't think of that sound as a receipt being crumpled. Think of it as lost deductions, because every business receipt you lose is cash lost. $5, $3, $2. And if you misplace $10 of business receipts every workday for a year, that's $2,600 in lost deductions, unless you've already snapped them with QuickBooks. Snap and sort your expenses for maximum deductions at tax time. Visit QuickBooks.com. Smarter business tools for the world's hardest workers. QuickBooks, backing you. Good morning. Jane Pauley is off today. I'm Mo Rocca, and this is Sunday Morning. By the narrowest of margins, the Senate yesterday confirmed the nomination of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Rita Braver will have the latest from Washington in just a few minutes. And then we'll be clearing the air about an alternative to smoking that's a source of both controversy and cautious hope. It's called vaping, and Tony DeCopel will be telling us all about it. They're everywhere. Sales of electronic cigarettes like Juul are booming. But what a lot of us see as a bad habit, others are calling a lifesaver. Do you think Juul means the end of big tobacco as we know it? That's the goal. 
ahead on Sunday morning for the promise and potential perils of electronic cigarettes. Now on Broadway, Kerry Washington, who starred in the popular TV series Scandal. She draws on a lifetime of experience, as we'll be hearing from Michelle Miller. I alone have your back, always. Carrie Washington seems to be taking a page from the character she played for seven seasons. We're never done. Power broker Olivia Pope. I'm a hustler. If I sit around and wait for other people to create magic in my life, then I will be waiting till the day I die. Yeah, this is our stage. Later on Sunday morning, Carrie Washington on her days in the Bronx, Hollywood, and now on Broadway. Then it's on to the New York columnist who seems to know everything about, well, everybody. Have you heard? Her name is Cindy Adams. They were asking them for a million dollars. For nearly 40 years. Why am I giving you information? You're supposed to give me something. Gossip columnist Cindy Adams has covered them all, from Hollywood heavyweights to A-list authoritarians. What was Noriega's complexion like up close? Not good, but how many people got that close to see it? Not everybody is Mother Teresa. If it pleases the court, Cindy Adams with Judge Judy coming up. Steve Hartman finds the sentiment, love thy neighbor, alive and well in South Carolina. Historian Doris Kearns Goodwin offers some perspective during these tumultuous times and more. All coming up when our Sunday morning podcast continues. Clearing the air of tobacco smoke, reducing the toll of disease, vaping is the hotly debated subject of our cover story. Here's Tony DeCopel. It's kind of what you did in the South. You know, when you're 13 years old, uh, I think things are a little different down here. Um, Nicole Crumley grew up in tobacco country and tried her first cigarette when she was barely out of middle school. For the next 20 years, she couldn't kick the habit. I tried the gum, I tried the patches, I tried the lozenges, and none of that stuff worked. What ultimately did work may surprise you. It's called an e-cigarette, or vaporizer, an electronic device that heats what's called an e-liquid, it contains nicotine and produces vapor, but not smoke. I realized immediately that I was feeling better. I could breathe better. It doesn't take long for your lungs to kind of heal themselves. Did you feel like there were changes going on? I did. I did. In your lungs. Um, I wasn't coughing when I woke up in the morning anymore. Um, that was a big thing. I think a lot of smokers go through that. They cough as soon as they wake up. I wasn't doing that anymore, and I haven't done that since. Nicole Crumley is now hoping to share that feeling and, she's convinced, help save lives as a volunteer for an advocacy group called the Tennessee Smoke-Free Association. But e-cigarettes are winning over more than just former smokers. In fact, they're gaining cautious support from a growing number of public health experts. In June, no less than the American Cancer Society noted that while the long-term effects of e-cigarettes are not known, they are markedly less harmful than traditional smoking. But if you're still skeptical, well, there's good reason. For decades, tobacco companies used misleading science to sell cigarettes and smoking, first as safe, proof of no adverse effects, and then as safer. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. But Dr. Scott Gottlieb, commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, believes this time really could be different. 
Thank you all for coming. Last year, Dr. Gottlieb proposed a historic plan to help save the lives of America's 38 million smokers. It involves reducing the amount of nicotine in cigarettes and encouraging committed smokers to become vapors instead. If every smoker today switched to an e-cigarette, would America be safer? Yes. The hope is that you can wean smokers off of tobacco altogether and off of nicotine altogether. But for a component of smokers, if we can migrate them onto less harmful products, non-combustible products, the presumption is you're going to be reducing risk in an adult population. So nicotine, to be clear, is not a cause of cancer. Nicotine's not, it's all the components of combustion. Nicotine is not a completely benign compound. It has side effects, but the cause of cancer and the carcinogens in tobacco are the products of the combustion. In other words, it's not the nicotine that will kill you. It's the smoke. But Gottlieb and others are quick to point out that what may be helpful for adults looking to quit is also enticing for teenagers. Vaping can deliver nicotine to your brain, reprogramming you to crave more and more. Don't get hacked. How do you balance the interests of adult smokers with the risks associated with teen use? Well, this is the challenge that we have. You're hooking a generation of young people on nicotine, and some of those um, youth will become long-term users of nicotine and maybe long-term users of e-cigarettes. The company that makes America's best-selling e-cigarette is accused of marketing directly to teenagers. And I just want to be crystal clear about this. We do not want a single teen using this product. Ashley Gould is chief administrative officer for Juul, a California startup that makes the best-selling e-cigarette in America and whose marketing practices are under review by the FDA. E-cigarettes are now more popular among young people than traditional cigarettes. Is Juul the reason? I have no idea. I can't. I have no idea. The device is a sleek rectangle paired with colorful nicotine cartridges as potent as a pack of cigarettes and sweetened with flavors like mint, mango, and fruit medley. So people look at your early marketing and they conclude, how could they not know this was going to be attractive to young people? Bright colors, cool flavors, cool people, seems obvious. It was an incredibly short-lived campaign, and if we had it over to do again, we would not do it that way. The company it's was, you know, it was not done in a way that it helped us achieve our mission. That mission, according to Juul co-founder James Monzies, is to give smokers everything they like about the ritual of smoking without the dangers. So I, um, I love smoking. And uh, I know I'm not alone in this. It's been um, part of civilization. It's been part of human existence since about 5,000 BC. Not so long ago, at the beginning of the Juul phenomena, you gave uh, a talk where you said that there was something beautiful and wondrous about the ritual of smoking. Yep. Do you think in creating Juul, you've created something equally beautiful and wonderful? Yeah, I, I think so. I hear that quite a bit. I think one of the most wonderful parts of the design for consumers is that you know, they've finally been able to free themselves from cigarettes. But you know, I, I think what it takes is an equally beautiful um, experience. But a key part of that experience is under threat. This summer, Juul watched as all flavored tobacco was banned in the company's hometown of San Francisco. Other cities are now considering similar restrictions, fearing that flavors attract young people. 
I got a lot of hate mail about this. The tagline was hashtag adults love flavors too or something like that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> adults love flavor. And you know what? What brings me to the table is less concern for adults but really focusing on children. Malia Cohen led the campaign to ban flavored tobacco in San Francisco where she's president of the city's board of supervisors. What I've learned, not only in the tobacco industry, but also taking on the sugary beverage industry, is that they also falsify data. And so that's what's most alarming. If the FDA is going to really be studying this, I want independent, pure, empirical research and data to drive this policy conversation. For Cohen, this policy fight is also personal. My grandparents died of smoking-related diseases. And I remember after I finished finished college, I lived with my grandmother, so I'm in my early 20s, and I would go buy her cigarettes for her. Cohen argues that e-cigarette makers are nothing but old-school, big tobacco companies with a Silicon Valley face. But walk into a vape shop anywhere in the country, and you see another side of the industry. About half of the market is still made up of small businesses, mostly staffed and owned by former smokers like Steve Nair and his wife Brandy. So it's a much cleaner than a tobacco They, they call us a tobacco product for, for purposes of regulation, but we're not really too connected to tobacco in the traditional sense. You don't see any tobacco around here. The Nairs are co-owners of Mountain Oak Vapors, a small chain that sells vaporizers and manufactures its own e-liquid. This is the beginning of the process. Yeah, this is the flavor components, so all kinds of different flavors from the fruits, bananas, peaches, mangoes, m melons. It's okay to touch it. Yeah, yeah, it's just a food flavoring you would use in bakery or, or candy making at home if you make your own He candy. says the liquid that most people vape is a mix of propylene glycol, nicotine, and flavors like these. If the FDA concludes that flavors cause kids to start vaping and they restrict flavors or even ban flavors, yeah. So that would that mean would be this shelf, good. this shelf, gone. Well, that would mean our business would be gone. You're done. Yeah, our business would be gone. We're based on flavored products. Uh, vaping as an industry is really revolves around flavored products. Um, we would not be able to compete very successfully with the cigarette if we didn't have these flavors. Keep in mind, the potential end of the vapor industry could drive more people to smoke. But legacy tobacco companies aren't betting on it. They, too, see e-cigarettes as the future. You imagine a future in which Philip Morris is no longer selling cigarettes? Yes, that will be that future, and the faster the better. Andre Kalanzopoulos is CEO of Philip Morris International, which last year manufactured some 800 billion cigarettes. And also ICOS, a new device that the company says could make the cigarette obsolete. Can you say with confidence that if you smoke Icos, you're less likely to get lung disease? Yes, I can say that. Less likely to get cancer, heart disease? Yes, all the diseases. Icos heats real tobacco leaves, producing an aerosol that Philip Morris International says is less harmful than smoke. The company has asked the FDA for permission to sell it in the United States. How, after years of acknowledged deception on the part of the tobacco industry, do you convince not only regulators, but the public to trust you this time when you say it's better? Look, it's very nice to say, Philip Morris, you can't believe them today because you couldn't believe them yesterday and so on. But do we think any smoker will move out of cigarettes with that? No. The world is changing. The FDA is still reviewing ICOS and figuring out how to regulate the entire world of smoke-free tobacco products. 
a process that is expected to take years. People like Nicole Crumley, though, aren't waiting. She's now trying to convince her father, a smoker for 40 years, to try vaping. It's not for me, no. <laughs> While also enjoying what she says are the benefits of a smoke-free life. I wish I'd never started smoking to begin with. How's your health? My health has improved. Um, I actually went to uh, Colorado last month. You know, the elevation's a little different out there. Yeah. And I actually did a hike, and I wasn't wind, and I was like, man, <laughs> like, there's no way I could have done this before. And now a page from our Sunday morning almanac, October 7th, 1806, 212 years ago today. A date for an achievement that was anything but singular. For that was the day carbon paper was patented by the English inventor Ralph Wedgwood, a member of the prominent pottery-making family. In Wedgwood's stylographic manifold writer, a message written on a top sheet of paper was simultaneously transmitted through a thin sheet of carbon-treated paper underneath to create a somewhat smudgy copy on the bottom page. When you use a carbon pack... Primitive as it may seem to us today, carbon paper was the way most people made copies of documents for the following century and a half. Eventually, devices such as photocopiers and computer printers made carbon paper all but obsolete and virtually unknown to the young people of modern times, as this Saturday Night Live sketch makes plain. I need three copies by five o'clock. I need a miracle. Here they are, sir. Well, they don't look so hot. But you did beat the deadline. <sighs> Come back to carbon paper. Gone though it mostly is, carbon paper is not entirely forgotten. To this day, a person sending an email to people in addition to the primary recipient will use the initials CC for carbon copied. In that way, at least, carbon paper is still leaving its mark. Have you heard? I've just paid a visit to the inner sanctum of gossip maven Cindy Adams. You've seen him come and go, haven't you? Yeah. Listen, I've been around since Lincoln. I knew everybody. And they're all here in these overstuffed Rolodexes. The famous, the infamous... Andrew. And the forgotten. So what can I get off you? Five phone lines connect the world to the Park Avenue penthouse of gossip columnist Cindy Adams. Why am I giving you information? You're supposed to give me something. Since 1981... Thank you, sweetie. Thank her you. column has been a fixture of the New York Post. Do I care? Versace's final hours? Yeah. The tabloid doubles as wallpaper in her home office. I don't even know what the stuff is. Who remembers it? How do you define gossip? I don't like the word gossip because it's pejorative. It doesn't have to be nasty and biting. It should be chatty. It should be funny. It should be something you do over coffee in the morning. The 88-year-old is guided by a very practical philosophy. If you were good to me and you were my friend, I will be loyal forever. If you were evil to me, if I don't get you in this life, I'll get you in the next one. In this life, Cynthia Heller was raised in New York City by her single mom, Jessica. 
She moved my hairline back. She fixed my nose. She made me lose weight. She sent me to a drama school. She sent me to an elocution school. Usually when someone tells that kind of a story, it's followed by, and I resent her for doing that. I'm grateful. If she hadn't done that, for God's sake, I would look like Bloomberg. Bloomberg's not a bad-looking guy. No, he's a rich guy. That's what makes him look good. She modeled. She says she won 57 beauty pageant titles. And in 1952, Cindy married comedian Joey Adams, not to be confused with Joey Bishop. He was not the Seinfeld of today or the Bob Hope of yesterday, but he had a number one lifestyle. So how old were you when you got married? Depends. I lie so much. I would say about 17. I think you were 22. No, I wasn't. That's what some sources say. Some sources have me as 105 also. But no, and they said that I can barely walk and that I'm dying Thursday. And I was about 17. Joey was 41 and seemed to know everyone in show business and politics. I was going to dinner with Joey's friends like Frank Sinatra. Those are the people that I grew up with. Joey was writing a humor column in the New York Post when the newspaper asked his well-connected wife to write a column of her own. Mo, I never wanted to do this column, never. I wanted to write the great American novel. But what movie stars and mobsters revealed to Cindy often made front page news how sweet it was, secret hotel romps of Donald and Marla. There's Marla Maples. Cindy was especially drawn to authoritarians, like the Shah of Iran and Panamanian strongman Manuel Noriega. What was Noriega's complexion like up close? Not good, but how many people got that close to see it? I mean, he didn't get really close. I didn't hug him or kiss him. He wasn't attractive, but something about dictators it's attractive. Who has been your favorite dictator? Well, it would have been Sukarno because I lived with him for so many years. This is Sukarno. For those who need a refresher, Sukarno led the Indonesian independence movement in the late 1940s and then seized total power. You were helping him write his autobiography? I wasn't helping him. I was writing it. It was the as-told-to-me autobiography. Did he ever make a pass at you? Oh, well, naturally. I would expect it. <laughs> How do you turn down a dictator? Oh, you say, oh, honey, take it easy, will you, for Pete's sake? I'm not the type. Right now, I need to get a story. Joey's 80th birthday party. Yeah. That was a famous event, an infamous event. If you're indicted, you're invited. The guest list included crime family boss John Gotti, queen of mean Leona Helmsley, and a certain noted shoe collector. Melda Marcus was my friend. When she was on trial, I was with her every single day. Yeah. She couldn't remember where she put 800 million U.S. dollars. It happens. Yeah, that's what I said. Joey Adams died in 1999. He and Cindy never had children. And a friend gave Cindy a Yorkshire Terrier, Jazzy, who became the love of her life. Come on, Juicy. Today, Juicy is the new Jazzy. I hope she doesn't pee. Every December, Juicy takes part in a ceremony that Cindy started at Park Avenue's Christ Church, the blessing of the animals. We've had llamas, we've had goats, we've had pigs, we've had chickens, we've had horses outside. Do you have a dog? I don't. How can you not have a dog? Because I travel too much. I travel also. I also have a dog. Well, you've got a staff. You can't have staff? What? CBS is paying you so little? Well, to be honest with you. Oh. <laughs> Cindy also has human friends, including Judith Scheindlin, known to millions as Judge Judy. If I'm not getting the true story, it's 
going to be ugly and unpleasant, and I am not an ugly and unpleasant person. They met 22 years ago. We play gin, and we can play gin for a whole day. Yes. We have played gin on a plane for 14 <laughs> straight hours. Is that right? Yes. Judge Judy readily testifies to her friend's character. Her love of America is very serious. Mm. Her love of New York City is very serious. Her love of animals is very serious. Her loyalty to friends is very serious. Other than that, she will pee on anybody. <laughs> we spoke at Fresco by Scotto, a favorite restaurant of Cindy's and the president's. I know Donald Trump longer than you are alive. The night Donald became president, I was with him. In Trump Tower. And he leaned over to me and he said, can you believe this? He was always good to me. And I will always be his friend. The only time he was ever angry with me was when I thoughtlessly did not go to his father's funeral. Why I didn't go, who remembers? And he was angry. He said, you didn't respect my father. At this point in Cindy Adams's bold-faced life, the only ring on her finger is the one she received from former New York Yankees owner George Steinbrenner. And my name's on it, if you see my name on the side, because if your name's not on it, it's not legit. This way they know if you try to hawk it or sell it. Did you ever encourage her to date again? You know, that's an interesting question. Men who are in their 60s want somebody who's 19. They are... What are they going to do for me? There is Rudy Giuliani. He's single. <laughs> what are we doing here? Got enough to drink. That's enough. Get away from us. Get out of here. Go away. <laughs> Love thy neighbor. That's our real-life lesson for the day from Steve Hartman. For many people flooded out of their homes in and around Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the most welcoming port in the storm has been a total stranger. I said, come stay with me. Come stay at my house until you can go back to yours. It's not really a house, though. It's a big 70-room house. <laughs> it really is. At least that's how it's been lately. Jarrett Hux owns the Midtown Inn and Cottages and throughout the flood, he has been open for business. Jared Hawks, nice to meet you. Or more like open for charity. We'll take care of him. To date, Jared has given away more than a thousand free nights to this community's poorest and most vulnerable evacuees. I don't know what we would have done, to be honest with you. I don't know where we would be right now. There's so many other ways you want to say thank you. There's no words to describe what it means to our family. And Jared has taken in every member of these families. No pet policy be damned. The Midtown has welcomed dogs, a tortoise, even a rescued baby squirrel named Mr. Squeakers. Love thy neighbor, right? That's, that's what you're supposed to do. I've read that somewhere. Yeah, I've read it somewhere too. My mama taught me that a long time ago. All right, you're in. You need a room key, don't you? So far, Jarrett has given away about $50,000 worth of goods and services. But even more important is the generosity he has inspired in others. People started running to me right away. How can I help? What can I do? They brought diapers, ice, and plenty of food. Anyone staying at the Midtown now gets three square meals a day. In fact, from the new shoes on their feet to the hairs on their head, we did not see a single need go unmet here. You're being such a good boy. Especially for the children who now play 
wonderfully oblivious to the suffering that surrounds them. In an attempt to return the favor, some of the parents have been pitching in with housekeeping and other chores. Jarrett appreciates the effort, but he says the best repayment has been the crayon on paper thank yous and the just knowing with absolute certainty that he has made his mama proud. Her name is Carrie Washington, soon to open on Broadway. But first, her conversation with Michelle Miller. What you do today may determine your political survival. Actress Carrie Washington's Olivia Pope left an indelible imprint on pop culture. I do not give up. All cylinders, people, let's go! She made the fierce, if impossibly chic, power broker irresistible for seven seasons on ABC's Scandal. I alone have your back, always. As incredible as it may seem now, initially, Washington wasn't even in the running for the role. A little bird told me, uh-oh, the network wanted to cast her as a white woman. I think the network, when they read the script, assumed that she would be a white woman, because that's what privilege looks like. But the brass would soon learn blockbuster ratings look very much like Carrie Washington, the first African-American female lead in a network drama in nearly 40 years. The audiences said that you could do this and people would watch, that if you build it, they will come. Now, Washington is building on her popularity as she enters her next act. I dreamt about being on the stage way before I thought about being on anybody's screen anywhere. She's producing and starring in American Son, which began performances last night. Last few times he stayed at my place, he looked like a goddamn gangster. A gangster? Yeah, a gangster. Set in a police station, it's the story of a mother and father trying to find their missing teen. Do you have a black son? Wow, we're really gonna go there, oh, huh? we've been there for a while. No. Washington says she instantly knew she wanted to play the mother. I'd never seen a character like Kendra before on stage, and yet she's a black woman that I feel like I knew. I wanted to be able to have people meet her and hear her and know her heart. You just don't get it. His world is not your world, Scott. Oh, yes, it is. It most certainly is. <laughs> the couple's son, Jamal, straddles two worlds, as Carrie Washington did. She grew up the daughter of a professor and a realtor in the Bronx and was educated at this Manhattan private school. You went to Spence. I did go to Spence. Did you live that life? I was definitely navigating being a kid from the Bronx, riding the bus to the subway to go to the Upper East Side to one of the most elite, prestigious private schools for girls in the country, in the world. That's one of those places where I feel like I understand what Jamal is going through. Hey! There's your picture! That's crazy. Oh, wow. And there's J-Lo. There's J-Lo. Washington's photo shares a wall with fellow alum Jennifer Lopez in their old neighborhood here at the Kipps Bay Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, this is our stage. This it was in a dance class that their instructor gave Washington an early lesson in standing tall. He gave me like a dance duet in the top of a dance number and then the next week he like gave it to another girl and I was like what did I do wrong and he said oh I totally forgot that I had given you you always have to speak up at 41 Washington says she's still speaking up and in control 
you're producing, you're directing, yeah. Yeah. you are acting, yes. you are in film, mm -hmm. television, web series. Yeah. Carrie's making that happen. Yeah, because Carrie has to. I'm a hustler. If I sit around and wait for other people to create magic in my life, then I will be waiting till the day I die. But I get to bring my own black girl magic into the world as best as I see fit. And, and that's what gives me the life I have today. A life that includes her husband, former NFL player Namdi Asimwa, and their two young children. While she doesn't speak publicly about her private life, she does look back fondly on the steps she took to get here. That's her and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. What does he do? He's in construction. Oh, like climbing up a mountain with Angelina Jolie? That was Rock pretty cool. face yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And opposite Jamie Foxx, playing two different wives, one in red, the other in Django Unchained. It's just always a joy. I love him so much. That is my movie husband for life, <laughs> for life. That movie was produced by Harvey Weinstein, who one year ago became the focus of bombshell allegations of sexual harassment and assault, which he's denied. When you heard about what took place, did a flash come to your mind with, you know, dealing with this man? It's funny. I did, my head just went in like five places. That revelation and awakening that we've had as a culture has been hard for a lot of us because it's made us flash back to all kinds of things with all kinds of people at work or in our personal lives. It's hard to not be in a state of PTSD a lot of the time. Despite the challenges, she sees progress. The good thing that has come out of it is that there is more truth telling and there is more truth and that we have been able to come together and say enough is enough whether it be in the Weinstein Company or in the White House, there's no turning back. I denied the allegation immediately. Still, the just-ended drama surrounding one Supreme Court seat has stirred so many memories of that other one from 27 years ago. My name is Anita F. Hill. Hearings Washington says she knows something about. Thomas told me graphically of his own sexual prowess. Having studied Anita Hill, whom she played in HBO's Confirmation. She really taught me what courage looks like. I realized in playing her the places in my own life where I have not told my full truth. And I'm just so grateful that she was willing to. And that is all you're gonna get from me out of that. I see your mind spinning. When will you tell it? I don't know. I don't know if I ever will, some of it. So what did she do instead? Thank you! Thank you! Thank to all the people who donated! In January 2018, she joined fellow actresses and producers to start Time's Up, an organization that helps combat sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. We are creating work environments that are safe for women because we're in charge. And we're saying we won't stand for a producer who thinks he can say that to an actress because she doesn't feel empowered. We're calling the shots. Oh, God forbid. And she says she'll keep calling the shots until change comes. But because as a culture, we tend to look past women or look past women of color. When we put ourselves at the center and we give value to the stories of women of color, it becomes 
a social act of rebellion. It's not what I'm intending to do, but I'm not going to make myself small. What to make of this complicated time in our nation's history? Some thoughts from historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. Everywhere I go, people stop to ask, are these the worst of times? No, they're not. History reassures us. Imagine Abraham Lincoln entering office with a country about to rupture into a civil war that would leave more than 600,000 dead. Imagine Theodore Roosevelt thrust into office when conflict between the rich and the poor had grown so intense that talk of revolution filled the air. Imagine Franklin Roosevelt coming into power when the Great Depression had paralyzed the economy and the spirit of the country. Imagine Lyndon Johnson taking office in the wake of Kennedy's assassination Get your hands up. when a civil rights bill was mired in Congress and racial issues seared the country. Although these four leaders possessed skills and strengths uniquely suited to guide us through, leadership in a democracy requires a two-way street. At each crisis, healing change percolated from aroused citizens joining together with their leaders toward a moral purpose. The anti-slavery movement, the progressive movement, the civil rights movement all laid the foundation for enduring change. While today's disunity is not as dire, it is potentially deeply damaging. Theodore Roosevelt warned that the rock on which democracy would founder would be when regions, classes, races, and parties regarded one another as the other rather than as citizens marked by fellow feeling, banding together for the best interests of our country. We must remember, as Franklin Roosevelt insisted, that problems created by man can be solved by man so long as we pull together toward a common end. And there are many encouraging signs of healing, a wide and deep burst of citizen activism. We are going to vote you out because... Young voices. Uh, the NRA is made up of American people like myself who support our Second Amendment. A diverse raft of new candidates, including record-breaking numbers of women. Whether the change we seek will be positive and inclusive depends not only on our leaders, but on us. What we as individuals do now, how and if we unite, can make all the difference. It is time for us to heed Abraham Lincoln's plea that we engage together in calm and enlarged consideration ranging far above personal and partisan politics. I believe the renewal of the moral vision and purpose that built and sustained us in past turbulent times can do so again. I'm Mo Rocca. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.